Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. We welcome a wide and exceptionally impressive array of guests, business leaders, HR leaders, academics, practitioners, consultants, and authors to talk about the most timely, relevant, and challenging issues that are influencing the workplace today. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland-Steed. This episode is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. As you reevaluate your benefits offerings this fall, don't overlook the advantage of having the right 401k plan. Having the right plan not only can help with employee retention, but can truly serve as a talent magnet for your business. Discover how offering a 401k plan can play a vital role in keeping your business competitive and how you can find the plan for you and your employees. Please visit paychecks.com slash A-W-I-A and download Paychecks free guide to 401k planning today. That's paychecks.com slash A-W-I-A. We have a great show for you today. Trish, I am super excited about this show. Trish, did you know October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month? You know, I did, but I'm glad you're mentioning it because we actually have a report that we are putting out on accessibility and inclusion in the workplace. We've been working on it for, oh, close to two years now, both qualitative, quantitative data. So yeah, today's episode two is just going to add to that wealth of information. And I'm happy that we're going to be actually putting some additional light on that in the month of October. Yeah, it's a perfect topic for the month of October. It's a great topic for what we're trying to do at Work in America. So I think we should get right onto it. Our guest today, we're so thrilled to have her. It's Dr. Jennifer Kamocha Lubke. She's the Chief Workforce Inclusion Officer at Pride Industries, who we're going to learn a lot more about today on the show. But as the Chief Workforce Inclusion Officer, Jennifer leads the company's workforce inclusion programming strategy and operations using innovation and data to develop integrated, community-based employment pathways for people with disabilities. Additionally, she influences employment policies that impact people with disabilities by working with local, state, and national legislative offices and community advocacy organizations. Jennifer brings more than 25 years of corporate business, higher education, and nonprofit leadership to Pride Industries. Jennifer, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Doing well, and thank you so much for having me on your show. We're thrilled to have you. We love the topic. We talked very briefly before we we, we started the show. Uh, the background is fantastic. Uh, I'll start with a kind of a just a little bit of the story, your story, Jennifer, if you don't mind sharing us. This is a great organization with a great mission. I'd love to know a little bit more about what compelled you, because you had a great and interesting career before this. What I compelled did. you to kind of find yourself where you're at at Pride Industries? Yeah, I mean, my son has an intellectual disability. He was diagnosed when he was four and a half with global developmental delays. And at the time I was working in accounting, leading large accounting departments, never really knew anybody with a disability. And so this really opened my eyes to this population of people, given that my son had a, you know, was diagnosed with a permanent disability. The doctors told me at the time that he would never live a normal life. He would live at home with me. Mm-hmm for, you know, forever, and uh, that he would never go to college. So the things that you, that many parents, I think, hope and dream for their kids just wasn't going to happen. So he is currently 23 years old. 
He's a college student, fourth year student at Georgia Tech. I live in California. He lives in Georgia. Guess the doctors were wrong. And uh, he's in a program specifically for students with intellectual disabilities. And it's focused on work. How to get him prepared for work and for living independently. So advocating for my son, for his friends, for many families that I met just through uh, being involved in this community led me to my role at Pride. It, it was very organic. I did not plan on it. Uh, most of my jobs that I quite frankly took were so that I could balance my life and my work uh, together to take care of my son. And I was doing some consulting work for Facebook and I got a call saying, hey, we've got this role that we think you'd be great in given your 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 body of work with advocacy and and all the other business and higher education work that I had done. And I was a little bit hesitant because I don't have a traditional rehabilitation industry background. Um, I have an advocacy background. So they uh, told me that they were looking for someone with the business and education skills that I had and someone who knew very deeply about uh, people with disabilities. So, you know, I, this is something I had studied uh, for my doctorate in education uh, that I that I have. People with disabilities is, it's the community that I feel closest to at this point, given my son's uh, uh, diagnosis. You know, thank you for sharing that. Um, I think anytime you have a personal connection to something, it just really resonates with people. But what strikes me the most, and it's because I have people in my life who also have different types of disabilities as well. And quite often you're told they're never going to live a normal life. I'm going to do air quotes, right? Normal life. And I just, I'm always curious because there are definitely, you know, families where they get those diagnoses and they're, they're just devastated and, and that's it, right? They believe it. Is, is what made you or your family, your friends who, who knew him or know him, right? Um, what made you kind of push past that initial diagnosis? I'd be curious just to what really made you kind of move forward beyond it and get him where he is today. Yeah, I, I think it was that I was wondering how did this doctor know with complete certainty that this was going to happen? And why wasn't there hope that was given to me as a parent? Uh, because the diagnosis itself didn't do anything for me to help him. It was a predestined sort of, this is what he's never going to do. So I think for me, it was it was just sort of the shock and really the anger of how, how do you even know? I mean, he's four years old. How do we know? So if so, if that was the case, if if that was the case, okay, that's great. I'll get prepared for it. But how do we really know what anyone you know uh, who's a child is ultimately going to achieve in their life or be? Why are we putting limits on kids? Why not instead uh, open up the doors and see what what they can do and help them to be the best that they can be? This is for anybody with or without a disability, right? If you are limited, if, if people are talking with you about limits for you know, when you haven't even developed, you haven't even gotten to kindergarten yet. I just find that to be, uh, you know, ex extremely, uh, uh, it angered me, let's, let's just say. So I think that's how I pushed past it. I thought, okay, um, that's your opinion. That's, that's awesome. And if that's the case, that's absolutely fine. But let's, let's see what he can do. Uh, and so he was, he's my only child. 
I didn't have any other kids, if you will, to compare him to uh, right in front of me. And I would, I just taught him and, and worked with him as if I, you know, just, he's my kid. These, these are the things that he's strong in. These are the things that he's not as good in. I'm not going to frustrate him by uh, working, you know, by trying to fix the deficits. What I'm going to do is just try to get him to be the best that he can be. At first I did say, you know, I, in my mind, I thought, well, how can we overcome this? How can we fix these things? And I quickly learned through educating myself, really, uh, that that he is perfect the way he is. So anybody with, you know, who is neurodivergent, anybody who is physically disabled, anybody who has intellectual or other, you know, physical disabilities, they are perfect exactly the way they are. Our environment was created by people who are, who could see, could hear, had a particular IQ range, uh, who, who built our systems and our structures in a certain way to fit the majority of people. And what they did was they excluded this minority. And so therefore we spend all this time trying to create accommodations so that people can fit into our society rather than bringing them into the conversation and saying, how can we design a college? How can we design a workplace or a school system that reaches the wide, the widest number of people? So that's my philosophy on, uh, you know, uh, inclusion and accommodations. Jennifer, thank you. That's a great like segue, I think, to some of the other things we wanted to talk with you about, about specifically what uh, you do and the big team over there at Pride Industry does. You said, uh, Jennifer, a minute ago, like, why place limits on kids? You sort of asked that rhetorically. And I'd say, like, why place limits on adults slash employees or potential employees, right? And a big part of what Pride uh, exists for, and I think I read a little bit of the founding story this morning as well, it's about creating those kinds of opportunities for uh, people like your son, I suppose, uh, in, in in the world of work, right? And so maybe, you know, with that little bit of context, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about Pride Industries for folks who maybe don't know, and then we'll get into some of the ways, um, you know, how these disability, inclusivity of folks who are differently able to say uh, uh, matters in workplaces. So, uh, so tell us about Pride a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, Pride was started by parents like me, by parents of adults with with intellectual disabilities who wanted more for their kids. And it was started in 1966. It has since grown. We are now a $430 million social enterprise. So we're a nonprofit uh, by our filing status, but we are a social enterprise in that our mission is to create employment for people with disabilities. So we have many different services that we provide. We have custodial services. We provide uh, commissary services on military bases. We have a manufacturing and electronics floor where we uh, put together uh, different um, uh, electronic devices, medical manufacturing. We provide a lot of services. And our goal in terms of business is not only to make a profit and to serve as a profitable business, but also to make sure that we are employing people with disabilities and giving them an opportunity to work as we are carrying out our business. I run the workforce inclusion team, and this is a team of about 400 people. And our job is to help people with disabilities 
acquire uh, a, a job, retain their job, and to develop in their careers. So we work with them to provide skills training and to help them get that job, that first job. Uh, and we also help them navigate their careers. Again, so many people in society and employers place limits on a person with a disability. And so once they're employed, we think, oh, great, we've done our job. I mean, I think a lot of people think that way when we're looking at people with disabilities. But just like anybody else, they are able to develop skills uh, and competencies and perhaps even try to find a different career or a different job. And so we're here to help them move along the path of employment. You know, thank you for sharing that. One of the things I was thinking about as you were just talking about that is I think often whether you are a parent of of someone who has a you know a different disability, um, mental or physical, or you're you're someone just maybe thinking about working with employees that might have a disability of some sort. Not only do we underestimate them, right? But I think that the problem really is us, right? It's society not communicating with them. We're assuming they, like you said before, they have a problem to fix when really we should also be thinking a little bit about us. How are we able to alter our behaviors, the way we communicate to fit into their world, what's comfortable for them? I'd love to hear your thoughts a little bit on, you know, obviously we, Steve and I are very passionate about companies hiring people who are differently abled um, across the board. And we've done many shows about this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts specifically on, you know, if, if I'm in an organization and we're not doing this, or maybe I'm a parent of someone who has been given maybe a diagnosis, they just cannot work in the normal world, right? What do you say to, to those people to help get them ready to kind of accept and do what it takes to bring someone who's differently abled into their organization? Right. Well, the first thing is that the uh, definition of disability and the number of people who are in that who are labeled, if you will, in that category, uh, depending on the institution that you get your uh, statistics from, vary from 15 percent to 26 percent. So according, I believe, to the U.S. Labor Department, it's one of one out of five. So 20 percent of people have disabilities. Um, The World Health Organization says it's 15 percent. And then uh, the uh, CDC says it's 26%. And it includes a wide variety. It includes people that have mental health uh, diagnoses. It includes uh, people who have physical disabilities, intellectual. So there's a wide range. So if you think about that population in the world, that's over a billion people in the world who have a disability. So as far as being a company, chances are, that you already have a person with a disability or people with disabilities in your company, but you just don't know it because they don't want to self-disclose. Perhaps they have a disability that is non-apparent. It's non-apparent to others and they hide it so that, you know, because they don't want to be thought of as incapable or less than. So that's the first problem is just making an environment, creating an environment where people feel very comfortable about self-disclosing not just their disability, but what support needs, you know, would help them do their job even better. And so by first, you know, asking your employees and making it safe for them to disclose, self-disclose their disability, most companies will probably find that they've got a particular percentage, specific percentage of people with a disability. 
And then secondly, once you know who those folks are, I would say, ask, ask that group of people, what would make it better? What would make the environment better for you to do your job? And how can we make it clear to people that we're trying to recruit that we are open and a welcoming and inclusive of people with disabilities such as yourselves? So I think those are the first steps. And, and once that gets going, then, you know, that just opens, I think, the gates for more people to uh, feel comfortable about applying for a job, to know that if they self-disclose, that the company will work with them to provide accommodations. The uh, average amount, a lot of people think accommodations are going to cost a lot of money, but the average uh, cost for an accommodation for a person with a disability is $500. It's $500. If you think about any sort of training program or anything like that, it's, it's going to cost at least $500. So it's just a part of making sure that an environment, a work environment is ready to include people with disabilities. And also if that uh, initiative is included in the greater diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives of a company, that could really help expand the population of people with disabilities. Jennifer, I'm glad you brought that up as this falls into that larger remit of diversity, equity, inclusion that we've seen, and, and rightly so, so many organizations uh, take on those programs and initiatives over the last, uh, let's call it decade or so, It's probably, maybe it's, it's even perhaps longer. Most medium to large companies certainly at this point have a chief diversity officer or maybe even a chief diversity and inclusion officer named uh, in their, their leadership team, et cetera. So maybe Jennifer, from your either your experience in advocacy or your experience working with organizations that you know through Pride Industries, uh, are there some barriers or you mentioned cost? Maybe the perception accommodations are going to be too costly. Are there other? Is it awareness? Like do what? What are some of the reasons why organizations have yet to say fold in disability inclusion underneath the broader umbrella of DE and I? Are there other things that come up? Yeah, you know, I think it's awareness overall. And I do think that uh, disability is sort of that last frontier of all of the different, uh, uh, the differences that people have. Uh, and so I think that there just hasn't been uh, enough intentionality around it, again, because of the stigma that perhaps people with disabilities are less capable uh, than, than people without disabilities. Ultimately, what it comes down to is really looking at the job and looking at the skills of a person and how you can make that perfect match. So, you know, and, and I think if, if we normalize disability as part of the human condition, right? People with disabilities don't need to be restored or fixed or changed, or they don't need to overcome things. We just need to look at what they, what someone with a particular disability, what are their strengths? What are their abilities? What achievements and what education do they have? And really focusing in on that can help us normalize it in the space of business. But again, it's it's awareness. And that's that's I'm so glad that we have uh, National Disability Employment Awareness Month in October to really focus on that with employers to say, you know, you know what, if, if you're looking to hire, which many employers are looking to hire the population of people with disabilities at somewhere between 15, 20 or 26 percent you're missing out on a group of people with talents and skills that you could hire 
if you could just make a few adjustments to your environment, your, your attitude, your posture of uh, your, your perception of people with disabilities. You know, I love that you phrased it that way, because as you were talking about how you would go about hiring someone and, and what skills to look at and their abilities and their education or whatever, that's how we hire everyone. Right. It really, it's like, why wouldn't we be doing this for people who have either mental or physical differences? It, it should just be the, that should just be the way we hire, period, Right. Um, exactly. So exactly. I love that you just normalized it by just even phrasing that that way. It just really hit me. I wanted to call out that that's very important. Yeah. Thanks. And I also think too that we go through these interview processes with with people, so we ready people for to, to answer questions in an interview. And I question for some jobs the purpose of that, and and if we should think about interviewing people differently, right? So if you have someone who is perhaps neurodivergent on the autism spectrum, they're not going to make, perhaps not everybody, but you know, they, they may not be comfortable making eye contact. They may be very literal in their answer to you. And so taking that into consideration that there's a difference in the way that they operate, but instead of making someone, you know, go through an interview process where you're not really learning about their skills, how can they demonstrate their skills so that we can just skip that that part of the process. I mean, being creative about acquiring talent is key in terms of bringing people with disabilities into the employment arena. Trish, I was thinking a lot as we've been talking and, and prepping for this show about some of the other shows we've done on this topic. And I was specifically thinking about the show we did with one of the researchers at Vanderbilt in the, um, yes. the Frith Center for um, Autism uh, Research. Right? I was we too. Were- we were speci- yeah. we specifically we should get him back on the show. He was great, but we were specifically talking about interviewing for folks for neurodiverse folks, and what struck me was many of the recommendations he gave, and he had three or four very specific recommendations he was giving folks who were maybe going through the interview process. They made perfect sense for anyone you were hiring going through the interview process. Like, don't ask that silly "so tell me about yourself" question, right? That's very awkward. No matter who you're asking that question of, I don't want to answer that question even myself right you know so uh, i think that's a very well made point and for a lot of these things are just they make sense both for folks who may be disabled in some manner or make sense generally and they're not they're not costly they're not arduous they're not really a big change right to normal sort of talent and hiring and and workforce practices these accommodations generally speaking are not that expensive not that significant and the it's really just that awareness slash perception barrier that we still right come up against a lot. Yeah, and I think you know uh, even on my team, you know my executive assistant is deaf. We make accommodations for that. It's really not that difficult. Uh, and I'm taking in you know taking ASL uh, sort of self study courses so that I can better communicate with him. Uh, but we have an interpreter that comes in for large meetings so that he can participate. Um, I've got somebody else on my team who uh, she has a medical condition where she needs to be uh, uh, she needs to be out on on a couple days a week uh, for a couple hours. So we just schedule around that. It's just part of what we do. And I think truly, when you think about human beings and the support that just in general human beings need, instead of wondering what someone's disability might be and how that might hinder them, I mean, really, don't all of us as human beings 
just need support. We might need support at different times. We could be givers of support as well as receivers of support. So if someone's going through, let's say, a death in their family, they might need some extra support at work. So again, that normalization of disability, we call it out right now because it's something that we need everyone to be aware of and understand. But at the end of the day, it's about what support do people need in order to feel like they belong at work and to help them be their best at performing whatever the uh, job responsibilities are that matches their skill set. That's it, right? And so that's and, super and the- well said. Yeah, Jennifer, and a great kind <laughs> of way to frame this up and 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 sort of send people off who are listening to this. Think about last thing while we have you for just a couple more minutes, Jennifer. Sure. I know I know you're. Thank you for giving us uh, so kindly of your time today. Maybe tell us just how organizations who are listening to this want to expand their DEI initiatives, want to have are having trouble sourcing uh, talented employees and need a need to tap into a new labor pool. Perhaps how how do they work with Pride Industries and how can they learn more about what Pride Industry does in 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 concert and in partnership with with external organizations? Right. So for employers, if you look at prideindustries.com, or anyone can contact me directly. I'm Jennifer Lubke, uh, and you can find me on the website. Uh, we also have a, a, for people with disabilities looking for employment, we have a helpline, a free helpline. Uh, it's 1-844-I-AM-ABLE, 1-844-I-AM-ABLE. And then again, for employers, uh, prideindustries.com. We would love to partner with you if, if, if an employer needs uh, custodial services, manufacturing services, um, HVAC services. We have those services available. And we also partner with companies to help provide uh, staffing basically for people with disabilities at their company. And we can help walk you through uh, how we can break down tasks and uh, uh, help people with disabilities do that or, or just maybe help with the interview process. So all of that is what we do. It's, it's my personal passion to help people with disabilities uh, become employed. And uh, it's what Pride does. It's our mission again, is to create employment for people with disabilities. And this is what our company is dedicated to doing. And uh, we've been extremely successful at doing it for over 55 years. And we would love to help out any companies that have questions uh, about how to do this and how to do it well. Love it. Thank you, Jennifer. Yeah, it's it's really an interesting organization. I, I'd encourage folks to spend some time on the website. Really diverse. You're in a lot of different areas. Uh, the founding story is quite fast, fascinating as well. There's a whole timeline on the website so you can read about the, the history of Pride, which I did for a few minutes this morning. And uh, yeah, this is really, really great stuff. Nothing better uh, way to kick off, I guess, uh, Trish, National Disability Employment Awareness Month than uh, sitting down for a little bit with uh, Dr. Jennifer. I'm calling you Dr. Jennifer because I'm jealous. If I were a doctor, that's all. I'd be calling myself <laughs> Dr. Steve like constantly. But uh, Dr. Jennifer Komodo Lubke from Pride Industries, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Good stuff. All right, Trish. Wonderful stuff. I love this. I love this uh, type of show. I can't wait. And I encourage folks, maybe when we put together the show notes, we'll put some of those other links that we mentioned out there. The show we did with Vanderbilt, the show we did, we did a show with an organization called IBVI a couple of years ago, Industries for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Very similar kind of mission to Pride Industries, but focusing on uh, uh, blind and visually impaired folks as well. So that's a great one to listen back to, too. Yeah, I think we'll go ahead and get a whole group of shows together. We also did on 
um, hearing impaired. We've done it with Special Olympians, um, all sorts of different abilities. And so I think, you know, also we've got our report coming out again. We'll have that available on the website and we'll make sure that we include uh, some of the information on Pride Industries in that as well. That's terrific. I can't wait to actually read the report. I we love will that. send so you a copy. <laughs> please, please send it to me. Yes, I'd love to, to do that. So yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to hearing more of the podcasts, the other podcasts that you're doing and right. the report for sure. Thank you so much, uh, Jennifer. Uh, thank you, Trish. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Remember to check out all the show archives, hrhappyhour.net and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. My name's Steve Bez. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time and bye for now.